we go, oh, it's so quiet in here. Good morning, everyone. Oh, my goodness, it's so good to be together in these tumultuous days. So grateful that, that you uh, stepped out in faith and came to join us here and present physically, many of you, but also especially those of you who are, are in quarantine or are uh, unable to be with us here physically who've joined us online. We're grateful that you're here. I love the words that Kristen was just singing, we'll, we'll worship together with that song in a little while, but each of us can cry out to God, show me who you are, God. Reveal to me your love, right? And lead me in your way everlasting. And that's our great privilege as we worship Jesus Christ together today. Again, welcome to you. I want to invite you all uh, to take out your phones and to um, text your name to... The phone number on the screen, 812-457-9509. And uh, if you just register your presence, just put your name on that. And if there's any way that we can minister to you, it's so challenging in these days to stay in touch and to know one another's needs. But um, our great, our great um, privilege is to be able to care for one another, to pray for one another. And uh, so if there's some way we can pray for you, uh, please text it to us. If uh, there's some way that you are rejoicing, uh, we just invite you to let us know that as well. While you're doing that, I would just share a couple things going on in the life of our congregations. These have been really tumultuous days, but, but we are trusting that God is ministering to the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of, of our body. And uh, one of those needs is uh, our our dear friend Riley, uh, as uh, Riley prepares to head up tomorrow uh, for another checkup, we're just lifting Riley up. We have several people that have been exposed through their workplaces and through other um, things to COVID virus and are currently in quarantine. And, and so we're just praying that God would um, protect them and all of us from, from unnecessary, un, un, unneeded um, trials, physical, emotional, and spiritual. But a great privilege is to be able to turn to that same living God, to be able to remind ourselves of, of much deeper truths than, than, we have, uh, than we have comprehended before. So our memory verse today as we begin worship is uh, taken from our study of Genesis, uh, from Genesis 1, uh, beginning at verse 26. Our memory verse... Uh, picks up the story that we left off last week with the creation of human beings. 
And uh, Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps along the ground. In other words, everything that in the first six and a half days of creation that God created, he has now given humanity um, stewardship of and, and charged us to take responsibility. And then the memory verse summarizes in verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Our great privilege today is to go back with uh, Moses, who wrote uh, these words, to go back and, and see God's hand in the very beginning of creation and to worship him there. Would you join us as we do that today? God of creation, there at the start, before the beginning of time. With no point of reference, you spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder. And as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born. In the vapor of your breath, the planets form. The stars were made to worship, so alive. I can see. Last week, would you? Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And he called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning. The first day. Last week we just noted that at the very beginning, we, we, we see a pattern in Scripture. A pattern that was not just for, for creation of the earth, but one that can sustain you and me today 
as well. Do you remember the pattern? God said, and it was so, and it was good. Oh, God, we saw, is still speaking. God is still in the business of creation. And what God says happens, and what happens, God says, is good. Don't speak in vain, no syllable empty of void. And once you have spoken, all nature and science follow the sound of your voice. And as you sing, a hundred billion creatures catch your breath Evolving in pursuit of what you've said If it all reveals in nature, so will I I can see your Psalm 104. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and with majesty, covering yourself with light as with garments, stretching out the heavens like a tent. 
Oh, Lord, my God, you are very great. Would you say that with me? Oh, Lord, my God, you are very great. Would you stand and say that with me, our call to worship? Oh, Lord, my God, you are very great. You are great. Splendor of the King. You are great. majesty. Trembles at him. Pray with me, would you? Oh, God, what a privilege to be able to add our voices to myriad angels, God, and saints who have gone before and who, with you in paradise, are lifting up their voice and declaring the same truth. How great is our God. God, we confess that we don't always experience that possibly because of the consequences of our own choices, possibly because you have entrusted to us suffering, you have entrusted to us tears, you have entrusted to us challenges that, that uh, Father, distract us from these truths so deep from Genesis of a great God who loved us and created us in his image. Now forgive us 
God, for the times when our eyes are on ourselves rather than on you. Forgive us, God, for the times when, like Adam and Eve, we have chosen to become you, to be our own gods, rather than to reflect you and be like you. God, we recognize the foolishness of our ways. And in, in humility, we come before you and say, forgive us our sins, God. We plead the blood of Jesus that we might be restored, to have our eyes opened again to the beauty of your creation all around us, to have our ears opened again, God, to the truths of your word, to be given again a fresh start, a do-over, a an opportunity to live from this day forward for your glory instead of our own. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave your life so that we might be restored to right relationship with our Heavenly Father. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you made a way for us. We receive that and by the blood of the Lamb boldly approach your throne of grace today. Mm, God, coming into your presence only reminds us of those who, who need you right now. I think, I think of those in physical trials right now and just pray in the name of Jesus that you would reveal your glory there. I pray, I pray for many, God, um, who have been pushed outside of their comfort zone and, and even beyond that are emotionally struggling and suffering. I think even in this last week of the, the ones who were, who were being tempted with, with suicide, God, as a, a solution to their emotional burden, in Jesus' name, we just ask you, use us, reveal your glory, love those who right now need to know there's someone who cares, there's a God who hears. Use us powerfully, God. And then, God, we just long. We just hunger for that day when the whole earth is full again of your glory. And every nook and cranny of your creation is permeated by your presence. Thank you that you have entrusted that partnership to us. Thank you that we can join you in what you are doing. Use us, God. Having been, having been forgiven of our own sins, use us to shine like lights into dark places. And God, we long for that day where there is no more brokenness, there is no more pain, there is no more struggle, human beings hurting one another. Hmm. Thank you, God. Thank you that you're here now where two or more are gathered. Thank you that you're not bound by time or space, that you're just as present in these living rooms, in these kitchens where people are joining us in worship. Thank you, God, that your spirit knows no bounds. Speak to us words of life. And God, we will praise you. We'll add our voices to those who forever call upon your name. God, we will even offer to you the prayer which your son Jesus taught us. 
Say this with me, whether you're in a kitchen or a living room or here in the sanctuary, would you? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Oh, beloved, what great news I have for you. If you have confessed your sins, he is faithful and just and has forgiven your sins and cleansed you from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. And praise you, God. continue singing of his greatness, of his majesty, to be in wonder of who he is. You give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. be pleasing to him for I rejoice I rejoice in the Lord <laughs> oh yes bless the Lord oh my soul praise the Lord praise the Lord praise the Lord all the earth I will 
will sing praise to my God while I have been. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. Congregation, rise. It is time for us to praise the Lord, all the earth. All the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. standing for our passage, our scripture this morning. Our uh, passage today comes from Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The very word of God. Thanks be to God. Mm, amen. Please be seated. Thanks be to God. Well, our great privilege is to come back again to the book of Genesis. I say that, and, and yet even as I say that, I'm, I'm mindful that that all of Scripture is one voice. All of Scripture speaks truth. And I am astounded. Um, I've been doing this for a long time. I'm astounded every week as I come to God's Word to find out how it's tied together. How from thousands of years before the time of Christ even, um, God was saying with one voice, with one plan, with one will making 
his way known. And from the very first words of Genesis to the very last words in Revelation, there's this powerful, unified testimony of the greatness of God, yes, but of his love for his creation. And so um, I'm so honored and privileged to, with you to, to come again to God's word. I want to I suggest to you, uh, as I did last week, that many, if not most, and by faith, all of the struggles we face as individuals, all of the struggles that we're facing as a congregation, all of the, the struggles that we face as human beings right now, God has already spoken into. We're not struggling because God somehow was surprised by the turn of events. We're struggling because we don't know the word of God. And when we do know it, we choose not to live it. So with open hearts and open minds, I invite you back to very familiar passages today. I invite you to look with me with new eyes at these scriptures and and see if maybe God doesn't speak new life into our situation as well. Today we go back to that story in Genesis 1. Now remember that last week we, we saw that God was revealing his, his hand here. He was showing us how he created the world. And, and, and even more than that, he was showing us why he created the world. But we only took it last week uh, up and really in, up until the... Six and a half days in, God, God spoke, and it was true, and then he said it was good. And throughout Genesis 1, verses 1 through 25, we see day by day uh, the revelation of, of God's loving, creative hand in this world that he created. Now, I want to press pause again for a start, because a lot of people, including people who call themselves followers of Jesus, um, would say that that's not how it happened. And you can, uh, you can find um, uh, purported uh, followers of Jesus who would say that, no, um, that was just um, an archaic way of expressing it. Boy, I have learned the hard way. Don't do that to God. God speaks and his word is true. And if it comes into conflict with our current worldview, then that's an invitation to go deeper to say maybe there's something about our worldview that is wrong instead. But today we come uh, in this, um, this revelation of God's creation to the pinnacle of his creation. And we saw it again in our memory verse for today. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over everything that creeps along the earth. Remember how many times he says earth then. See that in just a moment. So God created man, Adam, in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Oh, the very word of God. I want to pick up um, right here today, and we're going to camp mostly on that first phrase, though there, every word of God has power, and every word of God has meaning and is not frivolous or by accident. 
It's not a filler to get you to the next major point. Every single word of God speaks powerfully into our culture. But we see here, he says, let us make man, I'm going to continue to use the ESV language, um, in our own image throughout um, these verses. You might have even noticed it as I read 26 and 27. There seems confusion. There seems to be this confusion between, are you talking about an individual? Are you talking about people? Are you talking about one God? Are you talking about, you keep saying our, um, how does this all fit together? I'm so grateful that the scholars who unpack virtually all of our modern, uh, our modern scriptures uh, and translated them into English lived with that tension. They, they left the tension in there between, is this singular or plural? They left all those things in there because there's truth in those tensions. And, and we saw some of them last week that, that, that God, uh, even, even in the very beginning, well, let me say it differently, God from eternity past has existed in community. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we saw last week that all three of them were present in active in the creative process in creation. But today we come to the pinnacle of creation. Today we come to the, everything that, that the first six days was pointing toward. And the story begins with God working. That's going to come in big time in a couple of weeks on Labor Day. God working himself to create a world for humanity. In other words, all these first few days of creation had a purpose, and you are that purpose, right? God was creating a world for you, a place for us to experience and enjoy his presence. And the language that, that is used here in Genesis is, for us, is this language, the image of God. We hear that all the time. It flew by us a moment ago in Colossians, and, and we hear it so many times that it that we don't even stop and pause and, and let it sink in and permeate our souls. What does this actually mean? To be made in the image of God. Right? Well, the word image in Hebrew, salem, the word means a representation in physical form. It can be translated, this is going to be weird, it can be translated as idol, most of us go, ooh, idol, right? As idol or statue, right? But what is an idol? We're so used to thinking of false idols. An idol is simply a representation of an invisible being, right? A statue was put in the temple of every god in the ancient world so that somehow they could, they could make concrete what was a, 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 an abstract idea so that the worshiper could see what this God was like, right? Now, what was God's temple? I'm going to take you back before the time of Christ, because many of you are answering that question in your minds right now. But before the time of Christ, we can certainly point to two different buildings, right? Two different temples where Yahweh, the personal name of this living God, was worshipped, right? But were they really the place where God dwelled and made his presence known? Paul, twice in his teaching, uh, uh, giving, giving a, a, a short summary 
of God's purposes for the world um, spoke to this issue. In Acts 7, 48, Paul said, however, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands. Again, when in Acts 17, he says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples. No, no, he didn't say does not live in temples. He says does not live in temples built by human hands. Right? Well, what is this temple of God? Genesis says it's creation. It is creation. Both heavens and the earth. Yes, as a as a concession to humans like David who wanted so much to be like everybody else. Does that sound familiar? Wanted so much to be like all the other nations. God condescended, not to David, but his son Solomon, build him a temple, a place, and he even had him build an altar made by wings of angels, right? And the idea was the people at least could understand, they could feel close to God in that temple. Uh, But that wasn't God's desire. That wasn't God's purpose and plan. You can't put God in a building. You can't put him in modern parlance in a box, right? He does not fit. The moment you try and do that, something does not work. Let me see if I can make this case. Um, I was driving home just a couple of days ago um, on Lynch toward the late afternoon and evening even, and and, and with all the craziness, if you're watching online, we've had some major storms in the last few weeks, and, um, and especially just volumes of rain. But one of, the, one, of, one of the beauties of that has been the sky. And I was driving down Lynch Road, and I was looking west, right, right at sunset, and it was glorious. It was glorious. Now, all, you know, I've got stoplights in front of me. I've got other cars around me. I've got the inside of my car right here, and all I wanted to do was just pull over to the side of the road and worship, and just worship, right? What building, what stained glass window could somehow match the glory of that sunset, right? And how many times have we wandered out in the night, maybe we were putting the trash out, and sorry neighbors, at 11 o'clock at night, and, and bump the trash can goes down, and then you look up for just a second, my neighborhood's very dark. We don't have street lights. And, and, and we go, oh, my goodness. The heavens are declaring the glory of God, right? Uh, we, what, what human construct could possibly match those things? So, so Genesis is saying that God created humans in his image as his, um, forgive me for this, I'll try and unpack this, as his statue to be in his creation, right? We have been made in the image of God. We are God's statues, his salem, right? We were put on earth, and, and, and the whole earth and all of heavens and earth are God's temple. We were put on earth to make visible the invisible God. Have a nice day. Oh my gosh, you, you are the physical manifestation of the invisible God. 
I know all the objections that are coming in your mind. We'll try and unpack some of those in a moment. But maybe, did you ever wonder when you're reading through the Ten Commandments, maybe in Exodus 20, or you're plugging through and you got to Deuteronomy and, and you're reading again the Ten Commandments, and do you ever wonder why God is so strong against making graven images, right? Uh, really? I mean, uh, God, is it really that important? Yes. Why? Because he has an image. He has a representation on earth. He has a statue in his temple, and it's you. It's you. You were meant to show the world what God is like. You are the creator's representative. You are the creator's representation to his creation. So this phrase, the image of God, the Salem Elohim, remember last week when we were talking about Elohim, this, this plural a word for God, this phrase, Salem Elohim, means the image of God. And, 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 and honestly, it was used all over the Middle East, right, in ancient times, but not just for anyone. In the rest of the world, when this phrase was used, the image of God, it meant somebody, right? It meant the king. For example, Pharaoh was called Amon Re, right? Or image of Re after Re, the sun god of the Egyptian pantheon. But it wasn't just Egypt. All over ancient Mesopotamia, the king was called the image of God. And in many cultures, that kind of slid into him being seen by the people as this quasi-divine, this, this God's representa uh, represent representative, there we go, acting on his behalf and ruling in his place, right? And his relationship with, to the God was considered unique, right? He knew the divine in a way that nobody else could ever hope to. The king or queen was God's high priest, mediating God's blessing to the kingdom. There's a problem with this, right? There's many problems, but, but even in those cultures, there was a problem with this, right? Because if the king was the image of God, if Pharaoh was the image of God, that meant that the rest of us were not, right? The rest of us were just um, peons, servants of the king, right? That's what makes these words of Genesis so powerful, so stunning, so, so maybe even subversive, right? Genesis is saying no less than this. All human beings, all human beings, not just those of, of royal blood, not just the oligarchy of society, right? not just the politically powerful, not just men, right? All of us were made in the image of God. We are his representation. In that sense, when one of my newly favored authors says, we are all kings and queens, right? We are all kings and queens whom God has entrusted his kingdom. Wow. Wow. Now, I have to confess that a couple of weeks ago on my feed on, on the Internet, um, I got an invitation to be um, 
a Lord. I did. I did. All I had to do was send $50 to this place in Scotland, and they would procure for me... Yeah, some, uh, do I need to call you Lord, Mike? They, they, they would procure for you one square foot of land in Scotland, and in Scotland, if you are landed... If you are a landowner, then you have the right to be called Lord or Lady, right? Now, I have to confess, there was this temptation. I hope it wasn't serious, but, but um, I have an I love me wall, right, with, with all my, my running things and my, my grant and my degrees, all that kind of stuff, and, and it would look really cool, you know, to have on my wall. That's not what he's talking about at all. That's not what he's talking about at all. He's saying that you have a much greater privilege, and that's to be God's representation, his steward, his king or queen on earth to, to steward his kingdom. Why would we settle for a square foot of land in Scotland when God has already made us something so much greater? I know that um, you're still struggling, some of you right now, with me calling you kings and queens or lords and, and ladies, and I understand it. I'm uncomfortable with it myself as well. But I think one of the reasons that we settle so easily for so little is that we do not understand who we are and what we have in Christ. But that might not be why you are so uncomfortable. Perhaps it's you were thinking, we have one king, amen? Don't call me king or queen, because I have a king. I have one Lord, right? Don't I? And you are absolutely right. But what did the apostle Paul call Jesus in 1 Timothy 6? What did John see in a revelation in, uh, in, in Revelation 17 and 19? I love this, uh, this, this beautiful figure uh, of of a king on a stallion, right? And, and imprinted on his thigh in this vision, his revelation is this phrase, king of kings and lord of lords. Now, most of you have struggled because you thought, is he saying there's other gods out there? No. But he is our king, and he's entrusted the kingdom to us. That's why the very next sentence says, and let them rule over everything he created. Isn't that astounding? It's a little frightening, to be honest with you. It's a little spooky that God would entrust so much to us. But do you see the connection? We are God's representatives on earth. We're commissioned by him to rule in his stead over his creation. Now, next week, we'll go into this much deeper. But for now, note that God is very specific about over, which, over that which we rule, right? We, we rule over the fish of the sea. Some of us, anyway, have never been able to do it. We rule over the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, right the only thing that he doesn't mention that we rule over is people, is people, right? We'll go into this next week. You're thinking, well, 
no one ruling over people. Isn't that anarchy? No, uh, it's monarchy. One God ruling over each of us as we submit to him. God rules over his people. No, the point is that God has commissioned us to rule or reign or have dominion, depending on which version, uh, translation you're using, over his creation in the same way that he would were he physically present. Let me say that again. God has commissioned us to rule or reign or have dominion over his creation in the same way that he would were he physically present. Now, what does that look like? Before I give you the answer, I want uh, an answer I've already hinted at, but I want to take a moment and do... um, a brief word study with you, and this is just one of the fun things for me this week, just about Scripture, is is to see the unity of Scripture, all the way back to the absolute core presentation of Scripture. It speaks one message. What word study do you want to do? I want to look at this word man in Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. And And that word, I'm going to use it in in our parlance, is Adam, right? And most of us think uh, of of that individual person, Adam, right? But the word is much larger than that. Please don't misunderstand me. I I believe with all my heart in our uh, Old Testament with Moses, our New Testament with Jesus, uh, our Westminster Confession, every document of our faith believes in the literal person, Adam. But, but again, the word is much larger than the individual we know as Adam, the first human being that God created. It's, it, that word Adam also means humankind. It's a much larger word for us, right? It, it directly translates as man in our scripture, but it really means, it really means humankind. Do we have a, the ability to put that, well, we don't have the slides going today. Did you not find the, the um, sermon slides in the back of the, okay, I apologize for that. Um, did you know that, that, um, that Hebrew as a language was originally um, a language of Pictures. Did you know that? Um, now, don't be confused. Oh, so I might be able to get them. We're all the way down at that Hebrew uh, expression for Adam, if you'd be able to find that. Modern Hebrew is very uh, stylistic. It's very, very pretty, right? Um, and, um, and you can see it right there at, at the top of those. But, but the, um, oh, it didn't translate because this computer doesn't have that um, thing. I have, um, and I'll, I'll update this computer for you, um, I have the actual pictographs. This is astounding, but, but you can buy the font of the original uh, Hebrew pictographs, and I didn't think to, that I would need it on this. That's why it says MDA right there. If you remember that Hebrew reads right to left, so can you see working A-D-M, you see the, the word Adam, right? But the A in the original pictograph was a picture of an ox head. It was a picture of an ox head, right? And, and what it meant was several things. It meant, it meant um, strong 
leader, right? The ox was the strong leader that would guide and protect the herd. And the stylized um, A that you see on the right of that is, is the modern version of that ox head, and, and we know it as Aleph, the letter A in the Hebrew uh, alphabet. But the original one was strong leader. What's the second one? The second one, you can see it a little bit in the, um, in the modern Hebrew still. The second letter is Dalet. And, and a Dalet is a picture of a doorway, right? It's a picture of a doorway or a pathway. And the third letter, now the one on your left, which looks like a little bit of a reverse, a reverse M. I'm so sorry I didn't print for you because the pictograph is actually the waves on the sea. The pictograph is that of water. So, so um, it, the problem was that, that that pictograph water could be and most often was translated the waters of chaos, the waters of death, right? But it could be translated as in a couple different places the waters of life. Does that sound familiar? That phrase, waters of life, right? So putting it all together, and it's already on your screen for you here, uh, putting it all together, what does this literal word Adam mean in the original pictographs, right? It means, it means a strong leader that opens the doorway or path that leads to either life or death, strong leader that opens the door or path that leads to either death or life, right? What path did Adam choose? What path did he choose? I'm going to say this and explain it in a minute. The first Adam, the one we're thinking of here in Genesis, rebelled, and with that single act of defiance against God, sin entered the hearts of humanity, of humankind. Adam opened that door and walked the path that leads to death, not only for himself, but for you and me, for all of Adam's descendants. But praise God, he has provided, in New Testament language, a way of escape, right? The mystery of his redemption and deliverance is hidden right there in the name Adam. We took it off now, and you can't see it without the pictographs either. But if you take off the ox head, if you take off that, that first letter, the aleph of that word, then all you have is dalit mean, and, and you have a pathway or an entrance to either water or, uh, or excuse me, waters of death or the waters of life, and and that word translates into modern Hebrew as the word blood. As the word blood. God has mercifully provided a way of escape. It was inherent in the very pictograph, Adam. And it is the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ. Wow, I, I just love that kind of stuff that, that God's been saying one message from before the foundation of the earth, right? Now we are all under the blood. The question is, which blood are we under? Are we blood, under the blood of the first Adam who, who chose 
to open the doorway to sin, right? Are we under guilt and condemnation? Naturally, we are. We're under the same curse as the first Adam, and the end result of that curse, if God does not intervene, is death and eternal separation from the one whose image we bear. But this is what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 45. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. We know, don't we, this is the great news, we know that Jesus came to shed his precious dalit mim, his precious blood, as an atonement for sin, for all those who genuinely repent of their sin and call upon his name and pray to him and receive him as their savior. But Paul continues, but it's not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The word for dust is Adamah. A man of dust. The second, the second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, so shall also we bear the image of the man from heaven. 1 Corinthians 15, 45 and following. Do you see what, what uh, Paul is doing? He's calling Jesus the last Adam, right? There was the first Adam. There's a bunch of Adam and Eve's in between. And now we have the last Adam. Jesus came to earth to open another door, another pathway, not a pathway that leads to chaos and confusion and death, but a pathway that leads to life and life eternal. And this pathway he opened by his blood, by his sacrificial death on the cross on your behalf. He would summarize it in John 14, 6 by saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So what does this mean for us today? What does it mean for us? Well, from last week, God is the creator of heaven and the earth, right? And he created you. He, you are his, and the literal Greek word is poema, from which we get the word poem. But it means masterpiece. You, the pinnacle of God's creation, are his masterpiece, his work of art. You are not an accident of nature, right? He knew you before you were conceived. He meticulously formed you, Psalm 139, in his mother's womb, right? Excuse me, your mother's womb. You see how powerfully this speaks to our culture today. What you believe about God, what you believe about creation has incredible ramifications for every other decision you make. Let me say that again. What you believe about God and creation has incredible ramifications for every other decision you make. You didn't get to choose whether or not you were created, right? Some of you, like Job, have said, oh, I wish I never had been created. Oh, I know this. God understands. He understands, and he wants you to see his beautiful plan for your life, right? 
But you didn't get to choose whether you were created. And you don't get to choose who you are. Did you hear me? You don't get to choose who you are. Now, I feel badly because in a sense, we have done this, boomers. We have done this, silent generation. We have told our children that they can be whatever they want to be, right? And we thought that we were helping them. We thought that we were opening up their horizons. But our culture has taken that to the nth degree and decided that they can decide who or what they are, right? And it's gotten so confusing that, oh my gosh, people in their confusion are taking their own lives. All the while, this clarion voice is saying, I created you, and I made you something beautiful, right? It breaks my heart that we miss this. We haven't passed this message on to the next generation, right? You don't get to choose who or what you are. God has already made that decision. Instead, instead, as you become more and more familiar with your creator, you get to discover the glory and the beauty of who he created you to be and his perfect plan for your life. Many of your minds is echoing Jeremiah 29 right now, right? I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Isn't it interesting how we have all these disparate pieces in here, but in the world that we live, we don't put those together. We don't with one voice speak of the loving creator who made us exactly as we are and has an amazing plan for us. You may be male, as we see right here in Genesis 127, or you may be female, but you bear the very image of God and you can choose to represent him as he is or like so many all the way back to the garden, have done. You can succumb to the age-old temptation to try and be your own God and end up spending an eternity apart from him. So how can I say this as lovingly as possible? Don't let this fallen culture put labels on you that God does not give. And you'd be astounded at all the words that we, as followers of Jesus, use that God did not give. And every time we do, we make a concession to a different worldview that leaves people in despair apart from the living God. You are the pinnacle of his creation, male or female. You are his beautiful creation. You're not defined by the color of your skin. Let me say this even stronger. You are not black or white, red or brown. So much pain has come from an artificial distinction that we have put on one another that divides us, that makes us enemies of one another rather than recognizing we are exactly the same. We are human beings created in the image of God. I think the impact of this came to me full strength in the Rwandan massacre, right? Where, where they artificially put people, called them a different race by the shape of their nose, 
and then turned them one against another. And 800,000 over a period of a month were murdered because of the shape of their nose. You see, you see the culmination of this brokenness if we continue to succumb to the labels that, that God didn't put on us, right? You're not defined by the color of your skin. You are not hetero, bi, trans, homosexual, or any other of 30 labels our ever-shifting culture wants to put on you. You are creation of God. You feel strongly about justice, praise God. You feel strongly about righteousness and mercy, right? But a political party is not going to be the solution to that, right? Political party is going to divide. Was Jesus a Democrat? Was he a Republican? The issue was the same in his day. Was he for the Romans or against the Romans? Was he a Pharisee or a Sadducee? You see, all the artificial distinctions that we try and put on Jesus, all the artificial distinctions we try and put on one another. Oh, I, I applaud you for your commitment to justice. That's part of the image of God in you. I applaud you for your commitment to righteousness. That is a part of the image of God cry out to you, have mercy on other human beings, right? Because that is God's will for you. But you are not defined by a political party. You're not defined by how you vote. You are a human being, the pinnacle of creation, a male or female image bearer of the creator of the cosmos. And you were created to represent him in the world. Now some of you are going, ah, I don't know. I'm not doing such a good job even in these small issues that you've mentioned. How much less am I sufficient to represent God? Did you hear? I don't know where he went there. He went, the the scripture that, that Chris read from the New Testament, right? He is the image of of God, right? The firstborn over all creation. There's one who's gone before you to show you how to live out this life, this this amazing representation of the image of God. Jesus has shown you how to do that. He's gone before you. He offered himself as a way. And when you put your trust in him, you receive the power of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit to live out this Christ life now in a way that brings honor and glory to our creator, right? Oh my goodness. Genesis Genesis has amazing ramifications on how we see God. God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. Genesis has amazing ramifications about how we see ourselves. Come on up, worship team, if you would. What you believe about God has amazing ramifications for every decision you make. But lastly, Genesis has amazing ramifications for how we see others. Every person you lay eyes on, no matter what prefix they have in front of their identity, no matter what the color of their skin, every person you lay eyes on is made in the image of God and therefore has inherent dignity, inestimable worth, right? So, so Paul would say, 
Therefore, I will regard no one according to the flesh, right? Though I once regarded Christ in that way, I regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. Let's not succumb to the old anymore. Let's not succumb to the way of Adam anymore. Let's not judge one another and put labels on one another. Let's look at each other with new eyes and see each other as the creation that God made us to be. Oh God, thank you so much for your presence with us here. Thank you that you've made a way through Jesus Christ, God, for us to live and move and have our being. God, chase us down. Help us gently lay aside anything that is not of you and lead us, God, in the way everlasting. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God of salvation, chase down my heart through all of my failure and pride. On the hill you created, the light of the world abandoned in darkness. As you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear. Where you lost your life so I could find it here. If you have the grave behind you, so
into God's temple and love in Jesus' name by the power of his spirit every human being you lay eyes on. But don't sacrifice who you were created to be. Don't sacrifice the truth of God's word. He said, hold it up. Shine like lights in a dark place. And one day, the true light of the world will return, and he will draw us to himself, to that place where there is no more tear, where there is no more sadness, where there is no more label-making, where all that remains is a sweet fragrance of his presence. Peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. Would you be seated for just a moment? Ann Taylor is going to help dismiss us, beginning with a back rose. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for joining us online. And we will so look forward to the day when we can all be together again and when uh, this pestilence has passed. But in just a moment, she'll release you, and you have a blessed Lord's Day in Jesus' name. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none. Open up.